few weeks ago, I flew to Chicago up to see uh, my son-in-law, and uh, my daughter was traveling with my wife internationally. They were on a mission trip together, so I got to help my son-in-law take care of my grandson and my granddaughter and his son and daughter. And uh, as I was flying up, I had a flight from Orlando to Chicago, and I fly an airline enough that I can just barely eke out 24 hours before the flight, perhaps a seat away from the back of the plane to a, a place that this, my airline calls Economy Plus. It's a little euphemism, I think. It's just Economy Plus is a place where you have a little bit more room to sit, and uh, it's, it's how we all should be able to sit on air, air. It's sort of a reminder of things past. But, but you call 24 hours, and you try, I, try, I try to do that. I set my little alarm so it, right at 24 hours before my, my flight takes off, I can call and get there before all the selfish people do and get the seat that I want. And all, all, uh, all the aisle seats that 24-hour period before the flight were taken, I, I, I was sort of dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. And, and I realized that the bulkhead in this flight uh, was uh, three seats that uh, opened up on the entry of the plane. First class was, was up ahead. But they came in through the side there. And I thought, well, I can sit in the middle seat of, of row seven. And I got 7B, sat in the middle seat. Good news was that plenty of leg room, so there's nothing in front of me. Bad news was it was a middle seat. So I got somebody to, to my right and somebody to my left. I don't know how you fly, but that's just sort of ooh. You know what I mean? So it was, here the, I got on the flight, and there was a, a man to, to my right, man to my left. But it was really great because they had earbuds. And I, and, and, uh, I for three hours on that flight, did not utter a word to the man on my right my left. I had something to read. I had work to do. And uh, for an introvert, it was the perfect flight. It was awesome. Uh, because I am in a place, and maybe you are too, where I am sort of overcome by everyone who's talking at me. Words. Words. Everyone, everyone seems, seems to be talking nowadays. Everyone has something to say. I think social media has, has quantum leaped this whole thing forward to, to where it's just like, it's, it's, it's too much. The elections are going on. People are certainly talking and giving speeches there. Uh, people are blogging. People are texting. People are posting. People are Snapchatting. Uh, I, I don't even know what Snapchatting is and how you do it, but I'm sure plenty of people are doing it. You know what I mean? Just like everyone is saying something. Everyone's got something to say. One of my favorite songs in college was from the Bee Gees, It's Only Words. It's only words, and words are all I have to take your heart away. I used to love that song, but I, it's, it's sort of lost its luster as I've gotten older. Talk, talk, talk. I'm talking to you now, and because of all the words being spoken, it's easy to turn them out. I've got words that I have to say, but it's also easy to tune them out. Words that don't lead to action are meaningless. Words that don't lead to action are meaningless. We've just come off a series entitled What We Say About God, and now we're in a series called How We Act Together. And really, these two, two series go together. They're, they're, they're sort of woven together. And Kaylee and Zach have, have taken us through some things. We as a church are called on to communicate about God. Zach, last week, uh, had a beautiful transitional passage for what we are going to discuss this week and the next four weeks together. 
uh, as he talked about what the early church did in, in the latter part of Acts chapter 2. John, in his gospel, the apostle, begins that gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word, logos. And as he talks to us about who Jesus is, he uses this beautiful picture of who Christ really is. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he goes on to explain a bit of Christ's mission, why, why he came to this earth. And as John begins this gospel of, of wonder, really, as, as we look at, at all the things that Christ has done and, and the words that he spoke, he transitions to the 14th verse of that chapter, and he says these words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not just God saying things that we need to do. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. God the Father sends his son, the word, the explanation of who he is, and he becomes flesh. And he not only becomes flesh, but he dwells among us. He comes to us in relationship. So it's not just something you say. It's something you do. So this series is about what we do together as believers. I, I've, I've selected four primary callings that, that we have together as a church. And uh, th th those callings aren't uh, uh, inclusive of everything that we're called to do as a church, but these, these callings are things that have meant a lot to me as I've walked with Christ over the last decades and things that I think we need to, to, to learn about or certainly be reminded of uh, again as we're called together as a church. So the four that we're going to be discussing tonight, today we're going to be talking about confession. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about service, what we do together to serve others. Uh, the following week we'll be talking about edification, what it means to build each other up and what tools we have in order to do that. And then the last week is, is the calling of, of corporate encouragement, how we encourage and exhort each other and what God calls us to do specifically. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has written a, a wonderful book called Life Together, uh, and this book came out of an experience that he had as, as he had a, a small seminary in, in eastern Germany, in Pomerania. Uh, it, was a, it was an underground seminary because the Nazis had already taken over and co-opted the Lutheran church in Germany, but there was an underground church that really tried to keep the essence of the gospel pure and, and tried to keep the, the teachings according to scripture. And uh, this, this life together was written out of the experience of Bonhoeffer who led 27 pastors whom he trained uh, in, in this, this uh, Pomeranian small town of, of Finkenwalde. And, and as he began to, to record their experiences together, he, he wrote this, Christianity, he says, means community community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. So if you are here and you're not even a believer yet, but you're still seeking about how, how you want to respond to, to the whole concept of who God is and, and what it means to become a believer in Jesus, uh, I know this is going to be a little bit of, of like, well, I don't know if I fit in, but this is a great time for you to look at who we are as a confessing body as a family together 
And uh, I hope you will use this as, as a means by which you can say, okay, this is what Christians are called to do. And if you're a newcomer here, you're already a believer, this is, this is what we are committed to do here in this church. So this will be a good time for you to be with us, I, I trust. Confession. The, the New Testament Greek word for confession is echomologeo. Echomologeo. Echo, uh, it's transliterated into echo in our, our language. When you have an echo, you... You speak something and it comes back to you. Those same words come back to you. They are repeated back to you. And logeo is, is the Greek word for word. So they're words that are, that are spoken out together. They're spoken out in agreement. Confession literally means words that are spoken in agreement. Agreement with God and agreement with others. Agreement with who God is and agreement with what God... Uh, with what God calls us to do. And in the very act of speaking out, there's power that is both winsome and compelling. When you speak out words that, that lead you towards something, they are winsome and compelling. There, there are groups of people that, that have, have used these principles that, to, to great effect. Uh, if you're a member of a 12-step community, Alcoholics Anonymous or another 12-step community, uh, there is a confession part to being a part of that community. It, it, when someone gets up to speak, they, they declare, hey, my name, and they say their name, and, and they state, I, I am an alcoholic, and uh, this is my story. And there's power in the spoken word, but there's also power in the community that hears them and supports them as they speak. I was trained uh, in... Uh, marriage and family therapy, where, where we, we focus on the fact that there's power when more than one person can sit in a counseling office and you have a dialogue between two or more people. Many times you can accomplish far more because there is a speaking that leads, hopefully, to a good direction. So as believers, we're called to be a confessing community, a community that corporately speaks out in agreement about who God is and what he calls us to do. So there are two ways that I want us to focus on today in terms of what that confession leads us to. They're very simple, but I think they're very profound as we, as, uh, we look at them in terms of, of, of what we can experience as we exercise these forms of confession. The first one is this. We confess together our faith. We confess our faith. Romans 10, uh, verse 9 and 10, I think it's printed in your bulletin there. You can open your Bibles if you want to. Uh, Paul gives a wonderful picture of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, not just alone as a believer, but what we do together as believers. Verse 9, if you declare, uh, I like the New American Standard translation better because they use the word confess, echolmologeo, that's, that's the word. If we confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, if you speak that out to others, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth, again, speaking those words that lead us somewhere, that you profess and confess your faith and are saved. So Paul doesn't call us to confess our, our, our faith uh, in, in such a way that's isolated from others. He, he calls us to corporate confession. He calls us to do it, in community. Uh, because of my role here at Summit and uh, my role uh, in terms of counseling people, I have the opportunity to ask people pretty, in, in a pretty 
normal flow of conversation, what church they attend and, and uh, how often they go. And, and I'm not asking to check up on them. I just, I'm, I'm curious to see what, you know, what their response is to church and, and the community of believers that perhaps they're involved with. And I'm telling you, I get this response a lot nowadays. The response is, well, you know, uh, I don't go to church much anymore. And uh, just to assure me that they're not absolutely falling off the grid of their faith, they will say these words. But I, I watch my favorite teacher, a uh, preacher on, on TV uh, regularly, uh, you know, in my living room and, and uh, probably in their PJs, you know, that, but whatever. I try not to envision that, but that's probably in there somewhere. And uh, they, they will say, you know, I, I worship on my own. And, and I listen to an online message. And I, you know what? I'm glad they do. I'm not being critical of that. Uh, I have my own favorite pastor that I listen to on my, on my computer, and I, I do that by myself and, and enjoy that. But that's not what community, obviously, is all about. That, that leaves something undone. So while I'm thankful for any movement toward God and the willingness to have spiritual and biblical input, nothing compares corporate worship. Nothing compares to, to, to being in a room where I can worship with other people and confess or speak forth or speak in agreement about my faith with other believers. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Paul, in this beautiful passage about what, how Christ came to us, and, and he, he gives us a vision of the culmination, and he says the words, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, speak in agreement about what? About the fact that Jesus is Lord. So when we gather here, we confess our faith corporately. We worship Jesus. We bow down really before him spiritually, and we proclaim God's sovereignty. Every tongue confesses Jesus' lordship. C.S. Lewis, I remember I read this years ago. Uh, he was uh, interviewing with some uh, uh, people from the media, and they were curious about his, his coming to faith. And, and uh, he was asked a question about his participation in church and, and whether he attended church. And uh, this is how he responded in part. He says, when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to the churches and the gospel halls. I dislike very much their hymns, which I consider to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. He was a little bit critical of that. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic-sided boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. Being together reminds us that we're not alone and that we aren't the final answer to anything, but we are in this together. It's not just the church services, but even smaller gatherings where we can, we can confess our faith to each other. We have in, in our church what we call connect groups, small groups, and we are committed to making sure that those groups not only are formed, but they thrive. Jesus 
taught us this when he was here on the earth. He said, wherever there are two, whether two or more are gathered in my name, I'm also there in their midst. You only need two people to do church. Now, I'm not, I'm not you know, saying that that's the way we should do church all the time. Who, who would pass the basket? I guess you pass the basket back and forth, right, when you have two people. And you know who wasn't paying their tithe if you just had two, right? But two people together can, can encourage each other in terms of, of the agreement together, the confessing of their faith. We have in this church 146 connect groups. And it involves over 1,200 people. And uh, it, it takes about 44% of the people who attend here regularly are in groups of about 8 to 12 people that meet for 12 to 18 months. It's great to have times where we can meet together in rooms like this. And, and, and be together in larger groups, but it's also wonderful to be in small groups together. And in the New Testament, they had both. You had both. You had Jesus speaking to large groups of people and, and, and preaching to them, and then he would do wonderful teaching in small groups as well. I have two connect groups that I'm a part of every week. Um, we meet at 6 a.m. on one on Tuesday and another one 6 a.m. On, on Thursday, best time for us to uh, set aside and as you know, in our busy lives, sometimes it's difficult to get everyone together at the same time. Uh, people travel, people have family uh, issues that they have to deal with. So uh, this summer I was getting a little bit discouraged. I was gone for a period of time and, and, and some of the other men in the, in the studies were, were gone. And uh, one day in one of my Thursday morning study, I said, hey guys, are we doing okay? Is our, you know, should we reconsider whether this is, this is what we want to do. And, and I, uh, one of the guys in our, in our group, Jamie, his eyes got really big. And, and he looked at me and he said, no, we, we've got to do this. And, and, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, this group, this group centers not just my spiritual life, but it centers my entire life. And when we meet together in small groups, there is a power there and an intimacy there that is, is important to, to have. I know I can speak for myself in my life. Those groups do things, those small groups do things that, that we really can't accomplish here together. So it's not just what we say here, it's what we do here. It's how we worship together, how we sing, how we pray. Paul says in Ephesians 5:19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which we've, we, we've, we've done earlier. We've done it all our campuses. We've been able to proclaim our faith through song. We proclaim our faith through prayer, corporate prayer together. So confession of our faith is the proclamation of words, but they are words with meaning spoken together. Words that lead us to action. Second thing that we confess, it, it, it's a a verse over right at the tail end of, of James' epistle, his, his letter to believers there. And uh, it's a verse that you find a lot of times in the, the tail end of epistles, you, you have these verses that sort of rapid fire say, okay, here are some things that we need to be doing. And, and uh, this is one of the most dynamic verses, I think, in Scripture. James encourages us with these words. Therefore, confess, there's our word, Confess, speak forth in agreement with others. What? Confess your sins to each other. 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we not just corporately confess our faith, we're called to corporately confess our faults. Not just our faith, but our faults. A little bit more difficult to do that, especially when we're in a large group setting. I don't want to call on any of you to confess your sins here publicly tonight. I won't do that. This is probably not the appropriate place. But there are times when it is appropriate for us, James says, to confess our sins to other people. Why does he do this? I, I think this is perhaps the most difficult of all the instructions of the early church. I, I, I would hesitate to do it, and probably it's the least followed. But James knew something, and I think all of Scripture teaches this, this truth. Hidden sin is toxic sin. Hidden sin is toxic sin. It eats away at your soul, bit by bit. My children, as they've grown and become adults, they've moved out of Orlando. When my daughter's in Chicago. I've told you my son's in Seattle. Both of them separately have ended up in Presbyterian churches, interestingly enough. I'm not sure exactly why. I guess it was foreordained if they're Presbyterians, right? But it's one of my, the churches that my daughter was involved in and son-in-law was, was uh, a wonderful church, wonderful preaching, very, very, very godly people, but they were very ordered in their worship service. They were quite liturgical, uh, and every Sunday they would go through the this, this same order, and, and part of their, their order of worship was a public confession of sin. Now, I'm old school here. I'm old school evangelical. I don't, you know, I found myself originally, you know, initially, as, as we got to that point, I'm going, okay, I'm going to read a prayer that's on print it out for me, and I don't, this isn't, I don't know if this really expresses what I believe. So I, I found myself sort of mumbling through it, you know, with, with a, frankly, a bad attitude, and I had to confess that. But over time, as, as we came to that same place in the service, every time I visited and we were there, I began to notice the words of that confessional prayer. The corporate prayer, it was from, from the Book of Common Prayer. It was from the Anglican book, and, and uh, I, I began to see the beauty of it. Here, here are the words of that prayer. That we prayed together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. It's the Book of Common Prayer. I, I, I just recently realized that the Book of Common Prayer, I used to think common prayer was, you know, these are the common prayers, and then they're exceptional prayers. Now, that's not the meaning of common. The meaning of common there is, is communal. This is what we do and pray and say together. And as I visited this church and, and, and saw that same confessional prayer, I began to see that does express what my heart is, is, is feeling. There are things that I should not have done and things that I've left undone. And I have not done 
everything that God wants me to do. And I get to join with other people. People, my brothers and sisters in Christ, where corporately we're realizing and saying the same thing together. And there is power to that. Later on, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says, makes this statement. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. He says, this is sort of the ultimate, if you really want to, to, to be in community, true community, there has to be a confessional aspect to that. And we don't necessarily can, can accomplish that corporately, but this is, again, why we have smaller groups. Andy Stanley makes this statement he, uh, of, of North Point Church. There are so many campuses and people that go there, I, I, I couldn't even begin to count them. But he, he, he makes this statement. He says, we never form this church to get numbers at, at church services. We form this church so we could have small groups. And he, and he makes the statement, circles are better than rows. And uh, I've meant that a little bit. Uh, you know, circles can be more effective than rows. And what he's saying is, as we get together in smaller groups, that's where we can really get to know each other. That's where we get to have community. So we've inherited from our first parents the aversion to confessing our sins. Remember Adam and Eve? They sinned. God came into the garden. Adam didn't run up to God and say, hey, I've got to confess what I've done. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They hid. No one naturally moves toward confession. But that's what we're called to do. And in groups of people that we can trust, we can be encouraged to do that. Over the years, I've had people come into my office and they... If they're married, many, many times I've had situations where a husband or a wife has, has uh, done some things that have compromised his or her marriage. Uh, they have perhaps uh, had a relationship with another person that's inappropriate or maybe are inclined that way. And they're in my office to, to figure out how in the world they can, they can make a bad situation turn around and, and get healing. And, uh, just so you know, I have great respect and love for anyone who comes to, to a place where they can confess that to someone else. Respect for someone who says, hey, help me through this. And over the years, I've, 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 this, this is the, the response I usually have. Do you, do you want the quick fix? Which actually is the healthiest fix and will assure that, that most probably that, that, that your inappropriate relationship will stop and you can begin the healing process right away? Or do you want to take the long road? Do you, do you, do you want to uh, go through weeks and months of counseling at great expense, hopefully with me, uh, and uh, uh, just sort of not sure in terms of what the result would be? And, and every, every person to a man or a woman will say, well, I want that that quick solution, are you sure it'll work? I say, yes, it'll work. I promise you it will. What is it, they would ask. This is what I say. Go home to your spouse, look him or her in the eye, and confess your sin. Tell them what you've done. And ask for their forgiveness. I have to be honest and tell you, not everyone grabs onto that advice and says, yes, that's what I'll do. You know why? Because it's hard to confess sin. But as a community, that's what we're called to do. In small groups, 
that tends to be, be the better, better environment to do it. Or as you begin to have relationships with people and can build that friendship and that trust, there's someone that you can trust so you can come to the place where you genuinely say, hey, there's something that I've done or something that I'm doing or tempted to do, and I need to have a time where I can confess that to someone else. There is power in that. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. So this is why we have connect groups. This is why we do regroup in this church, why we worship together in this room. The application of this message is pretty straightforward. I'm not giving a commercial doing this. I'm, I'm, I want to give you encouragement. This isn't something that, hey, let's, let's promote this. this I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I have enjoyed and, and um, benefited most in my spiritual walk the past few years from, from the small groups that I'm a part of because those are the men with whom I do life. So I want to encourage and, 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 and motivate you as best I can if you are not in a connect group to take the steps to do that today. Take the steps to go from, from this service and go out into the lobby, Lake Mary and, and Waterford, just go in the lobby here, go into the lobby, find someone who can help you take that next step. Just learn what it means to be a part of a connect group here and, and, and take the next step toward that community. Anyone who has a name tag out there would be glad to help you and take you through that. Now, after what I just said, I, I want to assure you that the confession of your sins is not the first thing you're going to do in your connect group. They, they're not going to sort of circle you and ask you to start that way. But here's what will take place. As you grow together with other believers, you will be, have the opportunity to be able to speak together, to, to be able to, to encourage each other in your faith as you confess your faith to each other and bear with each other and hold each other up as you confess your weaknesses to them. So we recalibrate our lives when we're together. We can be in true community with each other. And true community begins with confession. Confession of our faith, confession of our faults. Bonhoeffer also says, if a Christian is in the fellowship of confession with a brother or sister, he will never be alone again, anywhere. So confession isn't just words. Confession gives us the opportunity to have words that lead us to action. I flew home from my trip in Chicago. I called again for my seat. I got an aisle seat coming back. It was great. And uh, it was 15D, and uh, there was a couple that sat next to me. Uh, and uh, I, I noticed that they were not from this country. They, in fact, were Japanese, didn't speak any English, and they wore surgical masks the whole time. So I didn't have to talk to them either. It was another perfect flight, right? <laughs> Introversion strikes again. And then I remembered, and I, I don't know why I thought of this, but I remembered, hey, you know, I was in another setting recently where, where I didn't know anyone. And yet it was a totally different experience. I was at, at a, a church in the Chicago area, Christ Church in Oak Brook. 
And I had the opportunity to worship with hundreds of people, people that I've never seen before and probably will never see again. But during that hour of worship, I was able to confess my faith and confess my faults with people, and it lifted me up. We have something when we come together as a community in confession. So I, and I mean this sincerely, thank you for being here, each one of you. Thank you for being here. We begin our services. Thank you for bringing the church into this place. Thank you for bringing the church into this place. Because there's power when believers get together and we confess our faith. So my confession to you is this. This poor, introverted soul, I suffer from pride that often leads me to think I can do this life on my own. I confess that to you. without the inconvenience sometimes of getting up and going to church and the embarrassment of sharing my faults with others. So here's my confession as well. Here's my confession. I need you. And dare I say it, I think that you probably need me too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the call we have to confess what we believe together, not just as individuals, as important as that is. But help us to understand and be able to enjoy the power that we can have as we in, enter into the experience of community. Community that just doesn't speak words, but they speak words that lead to action, words that lead to confession of our faith, where we are reaffirming what we believe in, confessions of our fault, where we take seriously that we've fallen short. And as broken people, we rely continually on the grace and mercy of your son, Jesus. As we come together and, and uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would do that uh, together, not as just individuals, but enjoy the opportunity we have to do that together as a body. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.